I know I'm no Olivier, but if I fought, but if he fought Sugar Ray, he would say, "That thing ain't the ring; it's the play." So give me a stage where that bull can rage. And though I can fight, I'd much rather recite. That's entertainment. That's entertainment. Creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Did you know that Martin Scorsese was in line to direct Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back? Was he? No, that's not true at all. Welcome to our retrospective on It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yep. All, all eight of them. Yes. That tremendous series. But for yeah, everyone else, hello. Welcome to the Waffle Press Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me as always, Matt Garingo. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, you want to talk about it? Ah, fuck everyone. Okay. Fuck okay. you. That's Yeah, you know what? I've heard that before. That's okay. Fuck Star Wars. It's kind of a, a bummer of, a, of an opening we're doing here for this whole thing. But, uh, yeah, well, well, fuck it. I'm in a bad mood. I'm fucking ready to like take down Hollywood. Yeah, we're, we're here to talk about Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> One of the best movies ever made. Would you agree? Yeah, I think Empire voted it the best film ever made. It's, there's a good argument there. You know, like, yeah. sometimes people come up with like, oh, this is, this is the, the best movie ever. And uh, sometimes I kind of scratch my head, if I'm being honest, like, oh, that's the one? You know, it's like the Academy Awards thing, where it's like, that one, that, that's the declarative best picture of the year? Oh, mm, sure, I guess, if you watch five movies. Well, rarely does the best picture actually win. We got lucky with the Moonlight thing last year, but that was very lucky. Empire Strikes Back is not directed by George Lucas. They brought mm-hmm. in Irving Kirshner, who I'm sure you're familiar with his work, Matthew. Oh, yeah. I actually am. Okay, good. Um, not, I, I don't think I've actually seen anything else he's done. Well, I mean, he did RoboCop 2. Yeah. This is after, you know, he did RoboCop 2. He did uh, Never Say Never Again, which was the unofficial James Bond movie that brought Sean Connery back. He, and he did a really wacky movie called The Eyes of Laura Mars, um, which is like a weird Hitchcockian thriller, but involving psychic powers. And it's written by John Carpenter. Yeah, so Lucas went to a couple seminars taught by that guy, by Irvin Kirshner. And then when it was time to make the next Star Wars, he's like, hey, why don't you make it? <laughs> well, first he said no, and then eventually he came around and decided, yeah, I'll do it. So thanks, Ir- Irvin Kirshner. Yeah, because it turned out pretty well. Um... Well, let's just say, all right, from the, right after, so Star Wars and... And they decide, you know, it made more money than God, so we definitely have to have a sequel. But George Lucas, from the beginning, had always wanted this to be a franchise series. Um, He did not initially um, want A New Hope to be the middle story. That was just going to be the beginning. It was like that. uh, There's many versions where it says episode one on a lot of drafts of Star Wars. It was supposed to be the adventures of Luke Skywalker. And because he felt that before Star Wars was released, he thought it was going to be a disaster. So he, he felt if he ever was going to do a sequel, he would have to do it really low budget. So he went to Alan Dean Foster. Is that it? Yeah. Do you know that, the name? Yeah, yeah, that's the name. Alan Dean Foster and had him write a... I don't know if he wrote a script first or if it, was, it started as a novelization. That would have been a low-budget sequel involving Luke and Leia looking for the Kyber crystals and Darth Vader showing up, and it could and it it's very specifically built around the sets and models he was going to have after the movie tanked. And Harrison Ford wasn't going to be in it because he was the only actor who didn't sign on for multiple movies. So there's no Han Solo, and this eventually, when Star Wars ended up being a massive hit, they just turned this proposed sequel into a novelization called Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which I think is the first official entry in the expanded universe of Star Wars. 
Everybody got that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. As you can imagine. So Lucas makes more money than God off the first Star Wars, and so now he feels he can do whatever he wants. So he wants to do a huge sequel now. And he brings on uh, a woman by the name of Lee Brackett, who was also known as the queen of the space opera. She wrote tons of space opera books back in like the 50s and 60s and was an acclaimed Hollywood screenwriter. And she wrote the first draft of Empire and then died. Oh. Um, some people give her credit for uh, the whole I am your father twist of Empire, but that's that doesn't seem to be the case. The only draft of hers that's out there because George Lucas hasn't released any of the notes from the supposed meetings they had. The only draft out there, uh, not only is Darth Vader not Luke's father, Luke meets the ghost of his father. And his ghost has like a ghost duel with Obi-Wan to try and teach Luke how to fight. And this is also the script where Lando Calrissian would have been a clone. Was, and oh, we would have seen Darth Vader's lava castle with gargoyles. Oh, fuck yeah. I love that idea so much. That's something I wish we could have seen. Yeah. In this movie, at least. Mm -hmm. But it, I get it. It doesn't fit with what ended up happening. <laughs> An idea that was definitely Lee Brackett's was that Luke has a sister on the other side of the galaxy who I believe had a name in the script that I don't remember. And uh, it was not Leia. But that, that idea was introduced in Lee Brackett's script. It, it's out there, right? Oh, yes. Um, it's something with an N. I can't remember. It's going to kill me now that I, I didn't even get that name down. Fuck. Yeah, well, I, I had it written down. Now I can't find it in my mountain of notes. Because <laughs> um, I wrote way too fucking much. Um, but I think something weird happened between Star Wars and Empire. Because, all right, so, you know, like, the, remember, the toys took off, and there was, you know, the famous empty box campaign where they couldn't make enough toys in time for Christmas. So you literally got kids a pamphlet that just said, we will deliver the toys on this date. <laughs> so kids got empty boxes for Christmas, but it was a guarantee that you would get like the whole box of Star Wars toys. If you started buying these collections, they included a completely new character named Boba Fett. Boba Fett was first introduced as a toy. Although that might not be true. Um, they, they came up with this marketing gimmick where... There would be these wanted posters for, you know, Luke, Han, Leia, and Chewbacca, you know? Like, wanted. And the implication was that bounty hunters were after them. And I believe the original version of Empire was going to play heavy on these bounty hunters. That's why there's, like, that whole scene where we, where we meet Boba Fett. And there's, like, a whole bunch of bounty hunters who have no lines and do nothing. So I think the original film was going to be about them. And Boba Fett was going to be a key antagonist. That would have been pretty cool. Because as it stands well, in the movie, like, they're not really that necessary. But we'll, we'll get yeah. to that when we talk about the movie. It's a cool little moment to see all those different characters there, but they don't do anything. Yeah. And you only know of their coolness if you've read the expanded universe. Well, from what I understand, what happened was Boba Fett was going to be the main antagonist of this film. Then, over the course of time, they decided to shift focus to Darth Vader being the main antagonist, and then the Boba Fett stuff was going to be in the sequel. The whole sequel was originally going to center around bounty hunters um, before Return of the Jedi was written. Because, again, all right, I, I skipped over one point I want to make, which is that after the massive success of Star Wars, Lucas and his producer, Gary Kurtz, decided to map out what they wanted the franchise to be. And they came up with uh, nine films that they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, at least nine. And some of the ideas were, and so that's where they came up, they want to do prequels. And one of the ideas that were thrown around was either using the prequels to show the origin of the Jedi Order or to show, tell the story of a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and then there were going to be sequels but there was never this idea that this was going to be a trilogy. Like, that was never set in stone. They wanted to do a bunch of films in a row. So you would have, you know, Empire Strikes Back, and then the, the next one would be about rescuing Han Solo, and then the one after that would have been about looking for Luke's sister. 
and then the one after that would have been about defeating Darth Vader, and then the one after that would have been... The Emperor wasn't going to show up until the ninth film. And Darth Vader was probably going to get defeated before that, even. And there's all sorts of talk about how there were ideas for different um, Sith characters to appear. Because Darth Vader, in all the promotional materials, is referred to as the Dark Lord of the Sith. Which implies that he kind of rules something. Or that he has some type of followers, and he isn't just, you know, a creepy general. Mm -hmm. um, but that none of that ended up happening. Now, why is that? I don't have an answer, other than that's well, just I not the direction the story took. <laughs> no, it's because the, the production of Empire Strikes Back was a fucking disaster. <laughs> they don't talk about it as much, but... Its budget doubled. And that's not a good thing to happen. They went over budget by... like a, They doubled the amount they intended to and spend on it. And they almost had their loan pulled. Um, because the bank said, if you, you know, if you go over budget, we pull your loan. Even if you're producing the, most, the sequel to the most successful film ever made. And this was at a time when a lot of big Hollywood movies were flopping. So everyone was kind of getting scared. And Lucas was doing this on the independent level, remember. Mm -hmm. He produced this outside of the studio. This was not a studio-mandated film. He allowed 20th Century Fox to release it, and they were going to get money from, you know, um, distributing it, but they weren't going to get the lion's share of the money, and they weren't going to produce it, and that caused some tension at 20th Century Fox. Until when Lucas did go over budget, he had to kind of go with his he head down and ask them, for more money, and Lucas ended up having to give up a lot of the profits of Empire for uh, just so the studio would pay to finish the movie. So Lucas ends up making less money off of Empire than he did off of Star Wars, even though I believe Empire made more than Star Wars did. I actually think the first Star Wars made more money, but I don't have okay. that quote on that. All I know is that Lucas made a lot less money. Yeah. And he was banking on making a ton of money because his idea was that he would make these Star Wars movies one every three years and he would use the profits of those movies to fund a bunch of little films. And that didn't work out. No. Because he suddenly had all his chips on Star Wars. And so the miserable experience of doing Empire Strikes Back led Lucas to decide he only wanted to make one more Star Wars movie. But we'll get a little more into that. The first Star Wars made like Almost eight hundred million. Uh, mm. I don't know if that's with inflation. And then Empire made five hundred, like thirty-eight million, five hundred thirty-five, mm. something like that. Which is still a fuckload of money, especially for back then. But yeah, a little less. Mm. Well, how much of that? Because do they do they factor the re-releases into that gross? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. I, you know what? I they do for like everything else now. So you know what? I'll say yeah, mm. sure. Yeah. So I know if you look at like Disney films, they always factor in all the times they re-release the fucking movie. Yeah, or Avatar. Yeah. Or it's like three billion now. It's like fuck. Yeah. Well, it's just a bunch of pointless scenes that were added to that one. Nothing that Star Wars would ever do. Ba -dum -bum, ba -dum -bum. So what do you think about Boba Fett? Let's talk about Boba Fett a little bit. Okay, because I want to talk about the bounty hunters as a whole. So that's a perfect little thing too. Uh, Boba Fett is a cool-looking henchman. And he's a he's like a if Shane Black wrote a Star Wars movie, Boba Fett is like a lesser Shane Black character, I think. Mm -hmm. Like he looks cool. There's an intimidating voice and presence. Uh, like even just the way he's like in the scene, he's always kind of behind someone else. So you know he's not the central threat. He's an interesting one, just like visually. And mm -hmm. I think that's enough. And I also think the character is not much more than that given what we see here, yeah. but that's okay. It, he doesn't yeah. need to be. It's like, it's the, the popularity around him that blew up because he has a cool helmet, I think, that really kind of annoys me more than anything else. Well, the popularity for him blew up because he was like, you know, like I was saying, he was released as like a uh, bonus toy you could get. Like if you sent in, if you ordered five Star Wars toys, you'd get a free Boba Fett. And then there would come with this description of Boba Fett that like described how his armor is like all like it's a bunch of trophies kind of stuck together like he it's a cobbled together armor so 
each one piece tells a different tale. And I think it got a lot of fans really hyped about this character, and then he doesn't do anything in the movie. In, um, a, in another universe where he was the main villain, and like it did focus on the bounty hunters, that would be a really compelling antagonist. Like, fuck, he's such a badass. He's hunted all these people down. He's just taken yeah. parts of them, and he's he's like literally well, was, built by them. That's that's an interesting idea. There was talk about him being like a morally gray character. Like he wasn't going to be totally evil, but he wasn't going to be a good guy either because you know he went wherever the money went. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it, like part of his inspiration, comes from again when they sat down to decide they're going to do another Star Wars movie. They they realized Darth Vader was like the big deal of the first movie. He's a henchman, basically, in the original Star Wars. And there's this backstory with him and Obi-Wan, but that's about it. And we don't really know much about him, other than he killed Luke's father, which, you know, is a traditional kind of story set up that there's a guy who killed your father. They weren't sure, like, you know, they still didn't totally know what Vader was, like, what his motivations were. Especially now that he doesn't have, you know, Tarkin kind of just dragging him around everywhere. Um, so there were ideas of maybe he's more like a mercenary type, like he operates off the books of the Empire. Um, but then it was decided, let's just make him, you know, kind of a commander and like a dark knight type character. But they had all these ideas for like a mercenary Darth Vader, so they just took those ideas and started applying them to a, the Boba Fett character. Boba Fett is kind of like, you know, a weird offspring of Darth Vader. And you can kind of see it. They both have masks. You don't see their face. And they kind of just put unused ideas for Vader onto Boba Fett. But they never explored any of those ideas because he kept getting cut out of the script. Because <laughs> at some point, Vader and Luke became the key story of Empire Strikes Back. I don't know when it happened. But that's, how the, that's the direction the film ended up going in under Lawrence Kasdan. It may have worked out for the best. Because uh, I really like... The, the lore behind the bounty hunters. Like, there's really interesting story stuff there, potentially. Uh, again, never really explored in any capacity. And in another universe, again, uh, with all the other bounty hunters, like, they don't need to be in this movie. No. Like, at all. Um, but, like, if this was made, like, today, there is, like, 100% a scene where they stop prior to Cloud City at another planet to refuel or something. Mm-hmm. And then they have all the bounty hunters fight there, like chase yeah. them through a marketplace or something, or even just a cloud city, you know? Yeah. But uh, no, they're just, they're gone after that. Yep. They just don't say anything and then leave. Yep. Although today in modern film, they would be there to set up the Sinister Six spinoff film. Oh, oh my God. You're right. No, this would set up Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so that's how that works. I don't like that. Never mind. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad this didn't happen at all. Yes. <laughs> Fucking no. Although I would rather see a movie about these bounty hunters than an Obi-Wan movie, but that's just me. Obi-Wan shows up as a ghost in this movie to give fucking exposition. Yeah. What do you think about the opening? Because I've noticed this more than on my rewatches and most times. Uh, every Star Wars opens up like in media res. Mm-hmm. Like, things happen in between the movies. And there's a lot of backstory that doesn't really get flushed out, but it doesn't need to be. Like, you get all the information you need to tell this particular story. Well, that's the brilliant thing of these movies is that they know what, of the, of the first three, I want to say, is that they know when, what story to tell. Like, they could have gone into all sorts of different stories about, like, oh, how the rebels get from Yavin to Hoth, or, you know, what... What happened when they were on Ord Mandel um, and they ran into that bounty hunter? Uh, where did Luke first learn to, you know, make a lightsaber come towards him? Uh, it's been three years since the last movie. What happened in between then? But those stories aren't that interesting. <laughs> and we don't need to know them. Like, maybe I could, like, I wouldn't mind reading about them, maybe. But you don't need them for this movie. You can just imagine that they've been, you know, doing stuff. Prequels have another have the inverse problem, <laughs> where they seem to pick all the worst moments to focus on. <laughs> but we'll get to those. Um, but actually, do you know the opening is like, like just to show you like some of the messes of this production. They filmed in like, they filmed, it was either Iceland or Greenland. I think Greenland 
has more snow than Iceland. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and it's fucking impossible to film in snow. I'm sure you've heard that somewhere. Have you ever been in like a snowy climate? I have. Yes. Try making a fucking movie in that where you can't know the snow can't be disturbed by your crew. You know, like you can't fuck up the snow too much and you have to make sure it looks the same between takes. Oh my God. I can't imagine. I don't know why they filmed it there. Uh, but the original opening of this movie was going to be a Wampa attack on the Rebel base. And that's how Luke was going to get injured. Because they wrote in Luke's injury because in between Star Wars and Empire, uh, Mark Hamill got in a big car accident that fucked up his face. That's why he has weird scarring on his face in this movie. So they had to write in an explanation. <laughs> so they came up with this, this idea of a Wampa attack. And it was originally supposed to attack the whole base and everyone was going to fight him. And there's all these deleted scenes. You can find them online of wampas, but the wampas looked fucking terrible. And it never worked right. So they, uh, they just they decided to cut that whole attack scene, even though they filmed a substantial portion of it. And they just had one wampa attack Luke. And even then, they couldn't really show the wampa because it looked so bad. In the original edition, uh, you, don't, you don't see it that much. But in the special edition, they show a lot more of it. Yeah. And I don't think it, it looks terrible. It doesn't look good, but it doesn't look awful. No, the, no, the Wampa in the, new, in the special edition looks fine. It's the way it's edited into the scene that makes it awkward. It's, it feels very like, it feels like an Ed Wood movie where they film two completely different scenes at completely different times. So you have characters that are supposed to be like looking across at each other. But the way the cameras are angled and the way the edits are placed, it just comes across as like really awkward. And at the end of the day, unnecessary. You didn't need that. You didn't need to see the Wampa. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, I have a little bit of a problem with George Lucas making changes to a movie he didn't direct, especially when he's such a big fucking believer in the auteur theory. But the, you can find, look up this footage. There's all this deleted Wampa stuff, and it's still out there. But they, like, they must have spent a ton of money on this battle, and then they just cut it. And that's a sign of problems to come. George Lucas wasn't on set for most of this movie. It was Gary Kurtz who was kind of put there to be the day-to-day -day producer. And he ended up rubbing Lucas the wrong way because he was constantly taking Kirshner's side in arguments instead of George's. Um, and George would end up parting ways with Gary Kurtz at the end of Empire. And Gary Kurtz, some people look at Gary Kurtz as the guy who, you know, brought the real heart to Star Wars. Like, he had a lot of influence on the first two films. And that Lucas cut him out because Lucas just didn't like him. But I think Lucas did the right thing in firing him because if you're, he's supposed to make sure the budget doesn't get out of control and the budget doubled. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how like smart he is and that the fact that it did end up making a great movie, he, did, he fucked up. <laughs> you get fired for doing that. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem was Kirshner wasn't as good. A, uh, he was a great like actor's director. And good at, like, you know, emotional human moments, which is what this movie's heavy with. Um, but he didn't really understand special effects very much, so that would always slow things down. And so, like, what would take, you know, a day to shoot would end up taking three days to shoot. And that, that would become a problem, eventually, because you're paying a lot of crew members to just stand around. Yeah, I can see how that's a problem. I mean, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of modern directors, I think, kind of, maybe they don't talk about it as much, but there's clearly an issue taking low-range indie directors and plopping them into movies that have $200 million for a budget. Yes. Obviously, Empire yeah. had a little bigger budget than like $5 million, which is like common for like an independent film or like a million dollars. But still, that's, that's a dangerous game you're playing. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And it doesn't really work. It only works sometimes these days. Because, yeah, I think of a handful. Exactly. Yeah, I think of more failures than successes, <laughs> unfortunately. I want to go back Fucking... and talk about the, the character stuff in Empire Strikes Back. Because this is one of the only movies, at least on this scale and popularity, that um, is really driven by character decisions. Yes. Like, you don't see this often. Ever. Well, this does... This is the one thing every sequel that's tried to be Empire Strikes Back usually misses. Yes, exactly. Which is that, like, 
there's a stupid thing because like everyone goes, well, the, the middle chapter of the trilogy has to be the darkest, which is bullshit. That's not true. Um, the third film should probably be the have the darkest moment in it when the, our heroes are at their lowest point. The thing is, the, the second act is supposed to carry the characters forward and let the characters drive the story. That's what it's got to be. Because if you take the first Star Wars movie, they're all fun characters, but they're not exactly deep characters. Obi-Wan's a little deep. By the end, they, Luke's just, you know, a kid. He kind of gets caught up, and now he's on an adventure. Han Solo's the, the thief of the heart of gold. Chewbacca just roars. <laughs> and Princess Leia is, you know, she's a little feistier, but she is a damsel in distress at the end of it. And this movie takes all the characters to their logical next step. Which, you know, one, we see Leia. She's actually commanding things in this film. Um, which, for some reason, doesn't carry through to Return of the Jedi. But whatever. Um, we start running into the problem of, well, how does Han Solo's conflicting, you know, lifestyle fit within the Rebellion? Especially now that he's kind of falling for Princess Leia. And how is Luke going to continue his training now that Obi-Wan's gone? And why is Darth Vader so obsessed with Luke Skywalker? The one thing I wanted to point out is that Chewbacca, he's never the deepest character in any of these movies, mm. but he's like a really loyal dog. Yeah. And I really like that. He just happens to be like an eight-foot-tall dog. Yep. Which is just amazing. Chewbacca, Chewbacca is the best. Everyone loves Chewbacca. Yeah. If you don't Thank like God. Chewbacca, you're an asshole. Thank God they, they, he's no longer dead. <laughs> Which only a couple of people know what that's about, but we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, that's the thing. Your sequel's supposed to be, like, the, char the characters have to drive your sequel. You can't have just a plot that drives the sequel. You have to come up with a plot that fits around where the characters are going. And a lot of movies, they, when they do the sequel, they kind of just come up with a plot that's kind of, like, intense... And then put the characters in that plot. But there's not enough follow-through with like how the characters drive it. I mean, I've said a lot about both Age of Ultron and Civil War. One of the big flaws of those movies is that the plot drives the story more than the characters. And I think that's a problem. There's a lot of character stuff in those movies, but the characters aren't driving those movies enough. I would definitely agree with Civil War. And given how that movie plays out, it feels like they should. Mm. There's no reason why they shouldn't have. And I think, because uh, I've, I've kind of really softened on my feelings on that movie. Um, that movie doesn't need a central, like, Marvel villain. Yeah. Zemo, who, who I think is a good villain, just not needed for that movie. That movie doesn't need a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I think Age of Ultron handled it a little better, but I think there was a lot of conflicting forces going on that drove the movie so it doesn't really gel in the way it should have. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Movies are more about plots than characters. Mm. Which is a shame, because Marvel's got some great characters. That's the reason they... They they succeeded. I mean, yeah, for the most part, they make fun, solid movies at the very least most of the time. But uh, their first movies, for the most part, also just really establish good characters that people like spending time with. You know, so yeah. why not let them drive the stuff? Like I've called it out a lot, but like the biggest problem for the MCU for me on on like their their wide scale storytelling is that everything has revolved around the Infinity Stones. At least the big event stuff. And it, it never needed to be like that. That's plot stuff. I don't care about plot, you know? Like, everyone's like, oh, who's going to die in Infinity War? Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, That's I a, to, bring it back, to bring it back to, to Empire, you know, you could have... We didn't need the story about how Darth Vader found out that Luke was his son. We don't need that whole thing. I think it's been, re I think it's been told recently in the comic books, like the moment he found it out, but you don't need that story. We start off with Darth Vader knowing that, and then he's hunting him down. Yeah, uh, and the, the retelling in the comic book is a fantastic little moment. That's from it, the Darth Vader comic, right? Yeah, it is, it is awesome. I haven't read that in full, 
But my friend was like, dude, you got to see this. And he just pulled up those pages on Twitter. And I was just like, whoa. Like, it, it actually gave me a, like a shaken feeling. That's very well told. Uh, little comic. It's actually, it's actually pretty great. Darth Vader comic, which I was like, I don't want. Because Darth Vader's kind of better when he's in the background. Mm-hmm. So I was a little nervous about it. But that, it's much better than the, the main Star Wars comic. So um, check it out. It's good. Yeah. But you like again, you don't. But a lot of those stories you don't need. That's fun stuff to find out later. And remember, at the same time, there actually is an ongoing Marvel comic that told the first like five or six issues, told the story of the New Hope, and then kept telling the story, and started bringing in all this weird stuff. They Jabba the Hutt shows up in the comics, but Jabba the Hutt looks nothing like he would end up looking like in the film. <laughs> um, I think he looks like a bit of a walrus type character. Um, not, not a fat walrus slug thing. Like he's got like a walrus face, but he's, you know, got a human type body. If I remember correctly. Uh, That's kind of weird. Yeah. Not, not the right Um, kind of weird for that character, but interesting. It's interesting, but it's also remember that Jabba the Hutt was originally supposed to be a human being. Oh yeah. How could I forget? Which, which fucking George Lucas lies constantly about (laughs) where he's like, I, I always intended to replace that stand-in with a creature that we would come up with later. Like, do you think we're fucking dumb, George? <laughs> George Lucas thinks we're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> you don't film a, an entire scene with a stand-in like that. That's rehearsals. Like, don't, yeah. It was great, though. That version of Jabba the Hutt, he had, like, a Scottish accent. And he's a remarkable so, human being. Yeah. Did it? Hey. But yeah. one, one other thing I want to point out, Empire is like considered the classic dark turn sequel where everything goes wrong, which it does. Um, but guess what doesn't happen in this movie? No one dies. No one dies. At least main character. People die. <laughs> yeah, people, people die, but die. none of the main characters die. Han Solo gets put in the carbon freeze, but he doesn't die. And so I want this nonsense to go away that you have to kill characters for drama. There's yes. more drama in this film than any of the other Star Wars films. It's watching them try and deal with things. Not to say that people can't be killed off, but just doing it for the sake of drama is never a good idea. Yes. Ever. It, it's, it's stupid, and it, it feels very cheap, mm-hmm. especially if you have characters as likable as these. That well, it's also a move a lot of films do these days because they don't know how to end their movie. Mm-hmm. It's like they think, well, all right, we have to have this dramatic ending, so how should we end it? And Zack Snyder says, we'll kill Superman. <laughs> and Warner Bros. is brilliant. Like, in terms of plot, Star Wars gets, starts on a small little scale, right, on Tatooine, and blows up into this big space battle, right? You can see the escalation mm-hmm. there. Empire Strikes Back de-escalates. It gets smaller in scale as it goes along, which is, is really cool, down to the point where it opens with a, a gigantic land battle on the snow, and then closes with the final confrontation in basically large air vents. Yep. <laughs> and it's Between all two dream. guys. Yes, and it feels huge because of oh, everything yeah. that's built up to that moment in terms of character and like what the story's about, good versus evil. And when Vader shows up in that room and says, the Force is with you, young Skywalker, and he's fighting him with one hand for like the first couple minutes, that's the fucking, that's the shit right there. <laughs> That scene is amazing. Just looking at it. I just love looking at that room with all the smoke. Just the lightsabers and the smoke. Oh, Earth yeah. Vader with the cape. Oh, it's shot beautifully. Uh, who's the cinematographer? Peter, Peter Shashitsky? Good job, Pete. Yeah. Oh, he's done a lot of work with David Cronenberg, for those who are interested in that sort of thing. That makes sense in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a brief body horror moment in this film. Yeah. <laughs> we see the back we see the back of Vader's head. Which is ah. the first indication that he's a man and not a robot. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of general audiences were confused on when they saw the movie. But again, it's just telling you what you need to know for this movie. It's your it lets yeah. you know that um at the end of the day, he's just a, another human being. Yeah. Well it's also a setup for well, what was he before he was this monster? Mm-hmm. And we get a little answer to that at the end. Another thing about you talking about a movie going from big to small, 
Um, this movie's a little bit like this movie's basically a deconstruction of the last Star Wars movie because you know that movie ends and everything works out, but then this is a sequel. It's like nope, shit didn't work out. There's <laughs> still a lot of problems <laughs> out there. But one of the big ones is Luke's co-pilot in uh, the Battle of Hoth. I think is like a deconstruction of the Luke Skywalker character before this movie. They they going to take off the Dak. His co-pilot is like, I feel like I can take on the whole Empire myself, which is how Luke feels a lot in the first Star Wars movie. And he does. He destroys the Death Star, especially because he trusted his feelings. Dak makes it about 30 seconds into the battle and gets shot in the face, <laughs> which is what happens to most people in war. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't be, you're not a big hero. Luke doesn't get to do too much heroic shit. In the, he, he destroys the one uh, walker, but that's about it. Yeah, and, and they lose. I think yeah, that, that sets up a big thing for this movie. From the yeah. beginning, they lose. And uh, with the exception of Luke Skywalker, our main characters are on the run for the entirety of this movie, and it just yeah. doesn't let up. Everywhere they go, there is something wrong. They come across something or someone who want, who's out to get them, mm-hmm. and it, just, it never stops. And that's a great way to keep up pacing while Luke is off on Dagobah, just uh, like training the whole time. You know what the most brilliant touch to this movie is? Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. How it's not boring? Well, that, but the fact that the Millennium Falcon is all busted. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great... Whoever came up with that is fucking brilliant. Because that's a great way to keep, like, to keep our characters as being underdogs. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, they're they're scrambling for resources and just getting the fucking ship to work. (laughs) So, I mean... That's something that hop- happens in a lot of like sci-fi shows. Like the main characters are like you think of something like Firefly. Like they're just a bunch of they're going from job to job, just trying to survive in their tiny spaceship. That's one of the things I really like about those type of shows, and what I like about this movie. Unfortunately, the Millennium Falcon kind of became a, like such an awesome thing that now when it shows up in movies, it does awesome things mm-hmm. instead of is actually a hindrance <laughs> to our character's success. I was going to say, I want the Millennium Falcon to blow up in one of the next two movies. I was convinced it was going to blow up in The Force Awakens. Mm. That, that was my big thing for that movie. I was like, okay, Han Solo's going to come back, and he's definitely going to die because of Harrison Ford's comments years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're going to crash the Millennium Falcon to like give people a chance to escape or something. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. That would have been interesting. Yeah, it didn't happen. And I actually kind of prefer what went down. But um, yeah. yeah, the Millennium Falcon needs to blow up. But anyways. Well, well, if you follow the Star Trek model, the first you kill Spock, and then you blow up the Enterprise. So. <laughs> okay, sure. I, I like that. that. Also, the Millennium Falcon falling apart and like being just a giant piece of junk, it shows how good of a pilot Han Solo is. Because oh, yeah. even after everything goes wrong, he's still like figuring out little maneuvers to go to. Like, he can't jump to light speed, but he still manages to crash to a uh, Imperial starships into one another. Mm-hmm. Ship battles in science fiction, they always take place in like a like an X to Y axis sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. With the exception of Revenge of the Sith and <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. The um, the ships maneuver through space like freely, like up, down, diagonally across. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's not like fighting on water. Yeah, on battles, the space is is open and. You can you could basically do anything up there, and these are really the only two movies that take advantage of that, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of badass. Yeah, the space battle, the dogfights in this are pretty amazing. Uh, big step up from the last movie, mm-hmm. um, which only had like one dogfight in space, and then the Death Star battle. All right, let's get to Yoda. Oh yeah. War does not make one great. That's one of the things Yoda says. Remember, like Luke is like, I'm looking for a great warrior. Yeah, the whole thing is about you think you're going to meet like this great warrior and then you meet this little guy mm-hmm. and he's the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy. Which I think uh, is, is another reason why this movie is just so fucking genius. It, it's not just that it plays against expectations. It's that those play against your expectations work for the story that they're telling here. Mm-hmm. Not just short term for this movie, but for Luke's arc over the course of a trilogy now even though it wasn't intended as such. Yeah. They kind of fuck up the Yoda stuff in the next movie, but there's a lot of... I mean, every scene with Yoda in this is great. Um, from the first, you know, faking him out by pretending he's not Yoda. Mm-hmm. 
which totally doesn't work today because kids know who Yoda is before they see the fucking movie. Yeah. Um, especially if you're one of those idiots who shows your kids the prequels first. Hopefully <laughs> there aren't too many of those people out there. I can't imagine people doing that. I definitely haven't recommended my friend to do that. That's the worst thing you could possibly recommend someone to do. It's okay, we don't talk anymore. There's a reason why that happened. <laughs> and you should feel guilty about it. But, well, uh, to be fair, uh, they, they knew about the, the Vader and Yoda stuff. Just because pop culture has like, plastered yeah, it's them hard in to every keep. facet of the galaxy. It's hard to keep that a secret from kids. I'm just thinking of this. The, the thing I noticed watching it this time was just how much emotion they got out of that fucking puppet. Yeah. Like, it's crazy that they got, they got it to work so well that, you're, that you totally buy it. And I don't know what happened between these movies and... Because Phantom Menace, they still used the puppet Yoda, and it looked terrible. I don't know what the fuck happened there. Yeah, and there's, um, there's this really distinct thing with the puppet where... Uh, Twitter pal, Andrew Boyd Allen, shout out to him. Uh, he, he's very pro special effects in the sense that just use CGI or practical stuff wherever the need be. Like they're both, they both have their merits, right? And yeah. like how the original Yoda, it doesn't, it's not that it looks realistic. It's that it, it works for all the scenes and it can emote properly. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, Little Shop of Horrors. The, the plant and Little Shop of Horrors it doesn't exactly look quote-unquote realistic, but it's a fucking musical, and yeah. it looks like it's actually singing, mm. which is insane. You, you just got to get people to buy into what you're selling. You got to sell it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is still, there's, a, there's always a little, you got to be careful because there's a moment where it could go a little the wrong way, you know, with mm-hmm. the effect. I mean, because if Yoda didn't work, the whole fucking movie falls apart. Um, yeah, it's a pretty yeah, daring really. move to hinge so much of the film on that. I think there's a definitive Star Wars moment in uh, what the Force is about. These discussions of like something that's so, so potent in the universe, something that's that that guides and drives everyone, whether they realize it or not. You know, where it's very similar to, to concepts of religion and yeah. you know, like faith, even if a faith without religion. You know, just uh, that is really powerful stuff. I think to sell to to kids, to people of all ages, basically, is higher power. It's not a singular force. It's an it's an all being force. And uh, the way Yoda talks about it, and uh, what Luke is learning and fails to learn by the end of this movie. Although I think there's like a gray area there because, like, what what would you have done? You know, mm-hmm. that really makes it for some some really interesting mythology, and it really enriches the world because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is a deconstruction of the, the first Star Wars. And, like, he can't win just by hitting someone harder or blowing someone up. He ends up winning in Return of the Jedi for being basically just an empathetic human being, which says a lot, I think, about um, the types of stories that, that stick with us and maybe that we need more often than we don't. That's great. All It's all great shit. And that scene in particular when he gives the speech about what his ally being the Force is when he lifts, you know, the X-Wing mm-hmm. out of the swamp, which is probably one of the most iconic shots in this series. And it's where, you know, the John Williams score really gets to swell. Oh, fuck yeah. It's one of the best one of the moments, best. like, in movie history, I'd say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, this movie's chock full of great <laughs> moments. I mean, the whole ending with Vader is just incredible on that big set. And, like, I mean, you can look at behind-the-scenes photos to see how they, you know, it's all sorts of, you know, psychological stuff, and they're only, like, a couple feet off the ground, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You see it in the movie, it looks fucking massive. But this is, all right, this is the movie, again, this totally changes the direction of Star Wars. Because the first Star Wars is really this swashbuckling type of adventure. It's a, it's a mishmash of, like, tons of different genres, all repackaged in kind of a space opera type story. You know, it's 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 a western. It's a war movie. It's a it's a film about a, a castle in the form of the Death Star. It's a film about wizards in the form of uh, Obi Wan and Darth Vader. Uh, it's a film about rescuing the princess. It's a film about monsters. There's all sorts of monsters in it. You know, it's a movie about you know little robots, and it's all sorts of things thrown into one movie. 
and it follows a very traditional hero's journey path. But this is the movie that goes, all right, now Star Wars isn't just one little story. It's not just a series of adventures. It's this epic that stretches from before we started following the story and after. That's what the episode, that's, you know, this is episode five. This is the first film you would see until you saw Star Wars re-released where, you know, it it says episode five at the beginning. You're like, well, what happened to the other three or four? (laughs) And And in the moment when Darth Vader says, I am your father, you realize we're in the middle of a much bigger story than we imagined. And that changes Star Wars for both better and worse. And it becomes a problem when you try and finish everything in one movie after it. Without getting too far into that, why do you think that is? Well, the next film tries to be both Star Wars and Empire at the same time. Um, We'll get more into that when we talk about Return of the Jedi, which I'm criticizing it now, but I want to say I love Jedi. I'm not like a Jedi hater. Mm-hmm. Um, not one of those people that's like, there's only two good Star Wars movies. Um, I'm not that guy. It's just that Turn of the Jedi is got a lot of great parts that are kind of lumped together a little awkwardly. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of how Empire set up that this is now a grand epic and it needs a grand epic conclusion, but we also need these other stories going on. The whole thing gets complicated is what I'm saying. But like I say, the Star Wars saga isn't a saga without Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars is just an adventure movie. On, but once you throw Empire into the mix, it, the whole thing grows. I, I think there's an element that gets added to a lot of sequels too, which you happily criticized on our Age of Ultron discussion way back when. Sometimes they add romances to, to ongoing franchises with uh, vastly different characters. Sometimes it works a comedic effect, sometimes it doesn't, and then sometimes you just hit it right in the sweet spot, mm. and you get something a, a, like a love story for the ages, a sweeping yeah. romance to accompany a grand adventure, and I really think that's what uh, Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia are. Here's the most important question. Did they fuck before this movie? <laughs> There's a lot of unspokenness. There was a drunken night, and they were both too afraid to talk about it afterwards. They weren't sure how the other really felt about Mm -hmm. them. And so they're a little hostile from the start of the movie. Yep. And it's only when they're they're all by themselves, they have nothing else, they have to confront each other. Well, because I think a lot of people like people who don't understand film sometimes... um, they kind of try and like lump in the Han Solo Princess Leia kind of romance as being like, you know, one of those bullshit where like the guy is always like kind of, you know, chiding the girl and the girl's kiss puts up with his bullshit. But every scene with them is all about how there's been this, there's been all these unspoken moments with them leading up to this. And they're both, they both want to say it, but neither is willing to culminating in one of the greatest, you know, lines ever. Princess Leia goes, I love you. And Han Solo says, I know. Because they both know. He's not just saying it for him. Mm-hmm. saying it for both of them. And from the beginning of this movie, you know they love each other. They're, they're, them falling in love happened in between this movie. They just don't want to say it to each other. Because they both think that they are on different paths. They could have been if, uh, mm-hmm. if the Battle of Hoth hadn't happened. Yeah. You know, like this is a fictional universe and only happens the way it's written, right? But uh, it's, again, it's really driven by, by the characters in it. And in another version of this fictional universe, um, where Han Solo goes away, I think you end up with a vastly different sequel, obviously, but also a more boring one, where the only resolution would be like him to come sweep in and save the day again, like at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not nearly as exciting as watching people deal with their feelings. And I think at yeah. the end of the day, that's what Empire is so fucking good at. It's just a bunch of people like working out their feelings with each other, for each other, and where they really belong. With each other and with themselves. It's a lot of internal mm-hmm. shit happening. And, I mean, the most important relationship in this movie is Luke's relationship to Darth Vader, really. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is much, which he, he's wrong. Luke thinks that Darth Vader is his enemy. 
entirely. He thinks Darth Vader killed his father. And he finds out that Darth Vader is his father, which he wasn't ready for. Well, because people have been lying to him, but, you know, I think there's a point with, uh, you know, maybe uh, Yoda was trying to knock some sense into being like, hey, if you have patience, maybe think about it a little bit. You might be able to put these pieces together on your own. And by the time you're able to put those pieces together on your own, then you'll be ready to face him. But Luke didn't want to do that. He rushed into it. And that's why he loses in this movie. I mean, by the end of this movie, he is begging for Obi-Wan to help him. Because remember, Obi-Wan was with him when he destroyed the Death Star, but Obi-Wan wasn't with him when he faced Vader. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan basically abandoned him. I mean, not like in a horrible way, but Obi-Wan couldn't do anything. And Luke thought, you know, he would always have Obi-Wan there to help him, but he didn't. Luke didn't have anyone helping him. Yeah, and then when he's on totally. the, the Millennium Falcon, just like broken, defeated, arm or handless now, without a hand. Yeah. Uh, he just kind of like looks up at the the sky, or in the space, and just he's asking like, "Why? Like, why didn't you tell me?" And he's just, it, it's really tragic. I mean, uh, you don't, no one really like talks about like crying at a Star Wars movie in the same way you do it like a like a Greek tragedy or anything like that, right? Like a really like heavy drama, but like that, this is filled with some really heavy moments. Mm -hmm. Why well, I, I cry at the ending of Babe every time I see it, so I'm a little. That's I cry at Star Wars sometimes. Right, well, that's, that's uh, fair. I mean, a very specific moment in the next film, which we will get to. The platonic relationships in this movie—they're—they're they're just so important for fleshing these people out. And uh, there's a sense of romanticism to it all. It's heavily indebted to John Williams' score, which is just—I don't know if it gets better and better every time, but sure as shit doesn't get any worse. It's getting better because they don't make film scores like that anymore. I meant individually through the movies, but that works oh, okay. too. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I think it's an element that we haven't seen the outcome yet, but could easily be lost on future Star Wars movies. Uh, I guess it was kind of not lost, but it just wasn't present for Rogue One. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't really needed. That's the one thing I think Rogue One dropped the ball on, personally, if you remember my review. I think they could have had a lot of emotion going on in that movie that they didn't take advantage of. Yes. But, and again, and there's not a ton in, there's some in Force Awakens, but Force Awakens is kind of setting up a whole new story, so you don't need it like at the beginning. No. just need to have that potential energy, um, which hopefully we'll get some follow-up on in the next film. I would um, be shocked... If, if Ryan Johnson didn't bring that, because that guy's talented as fuck. He is, but it's just, you know, you never know. No, that's true. You, you, nev you never know until you know. I'm, Star Wars has hurt me a lot, so <laughs> don't never get my hopes up, even if it looks like everything is going in the right direction. Because then you end up like Luke at the end of this movie. Fucking dangling. You think and other Cloud Cities were upset that Cloud City got to call itself Cloud City? There's got to be other ones out there. I'm sure they must run into that problem, like in every science fiction world. Like, uh, this is called uh, sticks or something. This is called. This is called. This is called the moon. Mm. What but do you mean the moon? Moons. Yeah. No, this is the moon. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of moons. Which one is it? The moon. Science fiction doesn't have to worry about that because they're worried about who their other hope is. That was my segue into Yoda's little. No, yep. there is another. Which is the one hint that Luke has a sister. And the inclusion of that one line is what fucks up Return of the Jedi a little bit. But hey. This, does, this movie does introduce something that becomes very problematic for later Star Wars movies. Which is that like your force powers are inherited. In the last movie, Luke was just you know, a random kid who, had, who was able to use the force because he believed in it. Showing that anyone can, you know, use the force if they have the right will. But uh, this movie goes, no, you know, your dad was a Jedi, so that's why you're a Jedi. Kind of does, but I, I never got the full sense that it was, uh, it was only inherited, like, genetically. Well, not in this movie. The prequels really double down on, like, genetics and how the role they play. And fuck, even the new one kind of plays up on that with, you know, the whole Kylo Ren stuff. 
And in the expanded universe, it's a big part of it. Oh, yeah. I think that's yeah. a problem. I think that was one of the reasons why the expanded universe wasn't super great at times. At times? So we'll talk about that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At times, this fucking... Yeah. This guy. There were a lot of changes, obviously, to the special edition versions of this. Mm. Or to, to the original trilogy. I think Empire is the one where I don't see any as like detrimental. At least not off the top of my head. Nothing I wrote down. But what I do like, like I actively think is a cool idea that they implemented. Um, more windows in Cloud City. I think that just visually that, that really makes it feel like a more lived in place. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't really like any of the other changes in the series, but I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's it's kinda it's kinda know. cool, but I don't know, I have those the original cuts and there's something about the way Cloud City looks like, you know, the the way it is that is fine for me. I mean, I didn't need to be seeing outside constantly. Mm -hmm. And just it all those effects like they just kinda I, I can't help it. They kinda have those like prequel stink to them where the prequels always have like a million things happening in the background of every shot. And just like it's just unnecessary. It's all right a little bit. I kind of like, you know, that you open it up and make it like Cloud City truly in the clouds. But there was a look to the original version that worked fine on its own. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think the only person that was annoyed about the lack of actual openings was George Lucas. <laughs> Sound like fans were criticizing it. But... Did he change again, anything that fans were, like, clamoring for? Well, I mean, he put the, the big at, at the time, everyone was really excited to see the deleted, you know, Han Solo Jabba the Hutt scene because it was just, you know, it was a deleted scene. Um, but no one really cares for that now. And uh, the special edition of uh, A New Hope, they actually have a scene where Luke and Biggs kind of talk before going to the Death Star battle, which doesn't happen in the original cut. Dak, his partner in the the Hoth battle, you know, gets killed off like unceremoniously. I feel like that's the type of story that Lucas wanted to tell. Like, you know, it's a fun adventure, but you know, people die in war, and it's sad. And so you have this friend Biggs that it's implied Luke grew up with on Tatooine, and then he goes off and joins the rebellion. And then oh look, they're like we're buddy buddy. We're gonna go face off like the Empire together. Like you know, they feel like they could take on the Empire themselves. And then he ends up dying, mm. and that that could have been like a huge moment. It, the movie didn't need it by that point already. You already get the stakes. Uh, that could have added a little bit more maybe. But I just think that that's a cool little thread that, that could have been in there at some point. Yeah. I mean, you definitely that's definitely something Lucas wanted to do with these movies because, uh, I mean, you, have you seen American Graffiti? Yeah. And like, you know, at like the very end, they just like the, like, Epilogue just casually mentions that the like the comic relief nerd character went missing in action in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's Lucas was and the first Star Wars is based on the Vietnam War, so I think that that is Lucas's commentary on you know war. Um, it's hard to do though when your movie's about how exciting war is. <laughs> it's a little bit of a contradiction. I, I don't think it's inherently like pro war or anything though, you know. No, but some people credit these movies with changing the national sentiment and that, like, they kind of blame it for, like, the rise of Reagan in the 80s because it's more like rah-rah, you know, that's all kick-ass mm -hmm. against obviously evil people and which flew in the face of a lot of the moral ambiguity of uh, the 70s and their films. And even though, like, you know, these characters are more complicated than just all good all bad, but there still is a very clear line between good and evil in all these movies. Yeah, I think the best example of something like a morally great character is Lando Calrissian, of course, you know, like, mm -hmm. he's kind of like Han, in his own way, trying to get by, he's put between, like, a rock and a hard place, a rock being the Empire, of course. And he doesn't know the mess that Han Solo's gotten him in this time, you know? Yeah, like, there's this, like, uh, there's this old interview where I think it was like on Good Morning America or something like that back in the day. The actor's talking about the, the movie and the, the the person interviewing him says like, oh, you know, he's playing like a really despicable villain. And it's like, whoa, what? No, he's not. Mm -hmm. He's clearly like a conflicted guy. He's got, he's got a lot going on. I don't, 
I don't understand where that even came from. It's such a weird thing to say. No, but yeah, that's his fucking weird to be like, because he's not all evil. He just, he, I mean, that whole scene's all about like how clearly Han Solo did something to upset Lando. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting along too well. Maybe it was taking the Falcon, which I'm sure the Han Solo film will not let us forget. Yeah, it's just, but Lando, once he sees the full scope of the things, he, re- he changes sides pretty quickly. Faster than a um, the current sitting U.S. president would, apparently. No one in the administration's a Lando. Mm-hmm. A fucking Tarkin. The destruction of Alderaan was horrible, but there's violence on both sides. See, I'm fine with the regular rebellion, but this alt-rebellion stuff is just... This is too much. Yeah, alt-imperials. They basically believe everything the Empire does, but they have a different name for it, and they're young guys. They're not really imperials. Their ideals just they align. Just... They just overlap with Imperials 99%. Can you think of any sequels that have actually... They've gone the, the Empire route, but have done it correctly in terms of like characters driving the narrative instead of plot or just getting darker. Well, there's, there's the one that came before this, which is Godfather Part Two, um, which is probably the ultimate example of a great sequel. Mm-hmm. Um. After this, I would say maybe, like, Spider-Man 2 comes pretty close. Which, you know, opens with Peter getting fired from his job because he's Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, it does the same thing where he just keeps losing. Like, he doesn't... Yeah, he, even when he wins at the end, you know, like, again, the, the villain dies, and that's not something that he's ever going to be okay with. And, I mean, it, he should have been fired by J. Jonah Jameson at the beginning of the next movie or sometime in between, but for some reason they forgot to do that, I guess. Oh. There's, there's a couple problems with Spider-Man 3, though, so... Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. We have all these... There's a lot of great sequels out there, but then the third one fucks it all off. And even when the third one's good, it's just they drop the ball. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about how Godfather 3 is an alright movie, but what is set up in Godfather 2? Godfather 3 should have been, like, epic, and they didn't do it, so... Which is mystifying. But And then you got Return of the Jedi, which has to wrap up a lot of different storylines and make a lot of money and not go over budget. I think it's also just another thing important to, to mention. Uh, you can still care about something and also be like, but this doesn't really work out. Not that someone mm-hmm. could do it better, per se, just like look at how this played out opposed to how maybe it, it should have given what was set up prior to that yeah you can criticize a movie and still like it but also don't be one of those dicks who like has to find something critical about every movie which i also do not like and don't use it under the guise of satire or jokes yeah when you're not being fucking funny or smart and you're clearly just trying to be like a pretentious asshole and being yeah take that siskel and ebert at the movies (laughs) This was clearly directed at Cinema Sins, but thank you. Who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, okay. The the one sequel that I actually did want to mention before I start closing off, um, I think the closest in terms of a character driven narrative for a big budget movie is a. Uh, if if, if you say Age of Ultron, I will fucking hit you. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's almost no plot, like in the traditional sense to that movie is mm-hmm. just a bunch of people going about their own way, fucking things up for about an hour and then coming together at the end and learning how to cry mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Although guardians guardians two makes it very clear that like the sequels are going to be kind of episodic, like, like, like very self-contained adventures, you know, very little yeah, that, crossing over between each film. Yeah. That, that's the one difference. Is that it's not setting up like a grand space epic, but uh, in terms of the character-driven stuff, I, I really can't think of another one that carries the legacy the same way. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. Um, I liked Guardians too very much, um, but a lot of people seem to shit on it. Um, well, that's only because they're dumb, though. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, all you have to do is read their points on it and go, yeah. And then see that they also gave Batman v Superman a positive review, and then you're like, why am I even listening to this person? Oh, Matt. Fuck everyone. 
I think that pretty much covers it for The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it's a shame I'm in, I'm in like a really bad mood today. So I didn't get to be like, you know, oh, Empire, it's so great when this happens. And it's so great when that happens. It's a little hard to actually be super excited about Star Wars, given the current climate of the world. Yeah, it's a terrible climate where it looks like Lucasfilm might not know what they're doing with Star Wars. Other than that, the rest of the world is fine. Uh, sure. The fucking life doesn't matter. One day the universe is going to fucking implode and there will be no more Star Wars. And one day you're going to die and everything that is you will shut off in your brain. And you won't retain any memory or awareness of what's around you. Have a good night. Matt, where can the people find you? <laughs> At EmperorOTN on Twitter.com. Hey, you can find me on Twitter.com at D-E-double-G-O Waffles. Uplifting <laughs> shit like that. Follow me on the Twitter. rest of the Waffle Press stuff. Like, subscribe if you haven't. If you, haven't, if you didn't like this, like, subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. AudienceEverywhere.net. Real Film Chatter. Etc. Etc. Thanks for listening. We've been professionally unprofessional. A big new sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. Thanks for listening to our darker sequel. <laughs> but it's character-driven. <laughs>